Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. John's Gospel, Chapter 8. Are you thankful this morning for the Word of God? Are you thankful for the Word of Life? I'd like to begin this morning by sharing with you some good and some bad. Is that okay? First of all, the good. Christians do not need to be defeated in life. Isn't that good to know? Then, of course, the bad is something that we never want to hear. You can say, "Uh uh-oh. That's okay. And that namely is this. If we have been or are defeated in life, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Uh Uh-oh. Something that we don't like to hear. Because we're always looking for somebody to blame. I mean, just think about it. Way back in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was found out, he said, you know, it's the wife that you gave me. And, of course, when God got over her case, she says, well, you know, it was the devil. And she blamed him. So blame shifting goes all the way back. Believe me, all the way back. We're always looking for somebody to blame for our faults and failures and mistakes and shortcomings. But in actuality, if we want to be scriptural and biblical about it, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. You say, well, why? Well, we can't blame the devil because the devil's already been defeated. He is a defeated foe. The Bible says Jesus came to undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil, and he did. And so, therefore, the devil is a defeated foe, so we can't blame the devil because he's defeated. Well, what about blaming somebody else, others for our failures, others for our defeats? Well, we can't blame others because each of us is a free will agent, and we cannot be overcome without our own consent. We may choose to listen to others if we want to, but that's still our own choice. If we don't want to be defeated, we don't have to be defeated unless we choose to be defeated by our own consent. And so others cannot force us into being failures or being defeated. Well, what about God? A lot of people like to blame God for their problems. Why not? He started the whole thing. And that's what they think. Well, we can't blame God because God has made a way of escape. No matter what it is that comes against us in life, God Almighty has already made for us a way of escape. Hasn't He? He certainly has. He's made provisions, in other words, for our escape. We have a way out. No matter what it is that we are confronted with in life, we have a way of escape. So God made for us a way of escape, so we can't blame Him. Well, then why do we blame ourselves? Because ultimately, each of us is responsible for his or her own life. That's why. And because Jesus said, what you allow will be allowed and what you prohibit will be prohibited. We hold the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God and what we permit into our lives will be permitted. What we declare to be lawful will be allowed or made lawful. What we declare to be unlawful is already declared unlawful as far as heaven is concerned. So in other words, he is saying we are in control of our own lives. We're in control of our own destiny. 
So ultimately, being responsible for our own lives and, and also for the operation of God's kingdom within our lives, it's up to us as to whether or not we are failures or we succeed. For example, if we refuse to obey God and to submit to His plan of redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ, then in effect what we are doing is allowing ourselves to be controlled by the course of death. And unless we do something for ourselves to get off that destructive course, it will usher us into an eternity without Jesus, without God. So who is in control of his or her own destiny? The individual is. So ultimately, they're responsible to act upon what God has already done and get themselves off that course. If we, for example, allow ourselves to be enslaved by controlling substances, we will continue to be enslaved or in bondage to that substance until we make a decision to take the initiative to be free from its controlling powers. If we're bound up by any substance, any habit, until we do something about it, nothing will be done. God's is not going to arbitrarily move upon our lives and impose His convictions upon us and say, Look, you need to be free. He is waiting for us to make a decision to act, to use effort and energy to apply the principles of His Word to our life circumstances so that we can be free from that controlling substance. So, in other words, unless we do something about it, we are allowing it to control us. We are allowing it. We have given our consent. We are allowing it to keep us in bondage and slavery. If we choose to allow our marriages to fall apart and deteriorate to meaninglessness and emptiness... And in some cases, even divorce, it's our own fault. It's the individual's fault. Now, I realize that when it comes to a marital relationship, we're talking about two individuals. One may not be at fault. We understand that can be true. But what I am doing is speaking to both parties as individuals. If it happens, it's because one or the other allowed it. And that's the truth, beloved. One or the other allowed it. And if we allow it, yes, it'll happen. It'll be deteriorated. It'll be destroyed. It can end in divorce and all that if we allow it. If one or the other allows it. If both parties choose not to allow it, it will not be allowed. At least we understand that by the Word of God. Also, if we allow failure to gain entrance into our lives in different areas such as in our business lives, maybe our prayer lives, maybe preventing us from experiencing the fullness of the blessings of God in our lives, all that God has promised us, you know, in His Word and provided for us through Jesus. If we are failures when it comes to those things, believe me, we only have ourselves to blame. Why? Because God has provided each of us with the same redemptive plan. God's plan of redemption for me is not better than His plan of redemption for someone else. God has given me the use of the name of Jesus just like He has given someone else the use of that name. 
I don't have more of a right to use that name than someone else does. We all have the equal right to use the name of Jesus to benefit from God's redemptive plan. We all have the same access to the power of the Holy Spirit. We all have the same spoken and written Word of God given to us, each and every one of us. We all have the same rights, the same privileges, and the same inheritance in Christ. It's all ours. It belongs to each and every one of us. And unless we do something to enforce these rights and privileges in our lives, then we will allow the enemy. We will permit the enemy. We'll declare it to be lawful for the enemy to prevent us from experiencing success in all these areas of life. Now, remember what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein by day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success in life. That was written to him, yes, but it applies to all believers everywhere. That if we'll do exactly what he told Joshua to do, we'll have the same results that Joshua had. And that is success in life. So, it's up to us whether or not we are successful in life. Now, the New Testament counterpart to that scripture is John 15, 8, 7, which says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Notice the unlimited potential that we have in him. Whatever it is that we need to be done, if we'll abide in Him and His Word will abide in us. So, in other words, we blame ourselves because we must not be abiding in Him or His Word must not be abiding in us. Because if those two things were true in our lives, what is He saying? Ask what ye will, it shall be done unto you. Didn't He say that? Well, God's not a man to lie, nor the Son of Man to repent. If He said it, He'll do it. If He spoke it, He'll make it good, right? Well, therefore, although we'd like to, we can't blame anybody else for our failures. For our lack of success. We must let the, the responsibility rest squarely upon our own shoulders. We have got to take control. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, that's why I wanted you to look at John's Gospel chapter 8. I didn't forget about it. John's Gospel chapter 8 and verse 31 and 32. We don't want to leave us hanging as being defeated in life out there, being defeated and unsuccessful. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believe on him, If ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now notice, Jesus here gives us instruction as to how we can be made free from slavery, free from bondage, free from the tyranny of darkness, free from any controlling substance, free from any spirit of divorce, free from sickness and free from disease and free from alcohol and free from drugs and free from anger. He gives us the secret to being free. Now, I'd like to expound on that, if I may, for just a little bit. Can I do that? Jesus said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, we have to put scripture in context and put it all together so that we can have the full understanding of what's being said here. We know that it's not enough just to know what God said. How many of you know that we need to act upon what God said? So we understand that when Jesus is talking about knowing, he meant absolute knowledge. In other words, it is the truth of God's word that becomes a part of our lives, our daily lives, that we act upon throughout our daily lives so that we can be free in reality. That's what he's really saying here. To illustrate that, let me just give an example. 
Here's this young lady, and I mean to tell you, she's getting to the place where her biological clock is running out, and she just desires to get married. So, of course, she finds somebody who shows an extreme amount of interest in her, and so she just begins to do everything that is right. I mean, she just plays right up to him and does everything possible to see to it that this is going to be the one that she's going to marry. And so no matter what it is that he says, I mean, she treats him like as if he is just the king. If he says, you know, what do you want to do? Where would you like to go? And she just responds by saying, anywhere you want, honey. I mean, this guy feels like, you know, he's just in total control of it all. If he says jump, she says how high. You know, and I mean to tell you, just this relationship just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And she's just doing anything and everything and everything and anything she possibly can to please this man because this is her man. And I mean, she's got this fella just, you know, his head just spinning. He cannot believe that anyone could treat him like this. Until finally they get so serious with one another, they're about to get married. They're standing there before the, 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 the preacher, at, you know, in the local church. And he asks him, you know, will you take her? And, of course, what does he say? I do. Well, I mean, why not? This woman has done anything, everything, and she's gone the extra mile and a half just to see to it that this man is absolutely satisfied and pleased. Well, all of a sudden, the preacher looks to her and says, you know, will you take him? And, of course, she says, I do. But the moment she, the preacher can get these words out of his mouth, you know, that they're one and that they're now married, but then he can kiss his bride. What does she do? She stops right there and just looks him right in the eyeball. And deep from within inside, this, just, just her voice changes and she just bellows. Some things have got to change around here. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the guy doesn't know who he is or where he's at until he finds himself in a mall walking, carrying some woman's handbag. <laughs> With a spaced out look on his face. Never knew what hit him. That's what Jesus was saying here. You want to get free? You've got to tell the devil some things have got to change. We've got to know the truth and tell him that some things have got to change. Do you get that? Some things have got to change. Because you see, you're in control. He's been in control up until this point, but now it's time for the believer to be in control. Some things have got to change. Let me show you. Turn with me, if you would, please, to... Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and also find in the book of Psalms chapter 8, Psalm 8, Genesis 1, 26, and Psalm 8. I know you can do it. You're used to me by now, so you can do it. We've got to find out the truth. We have to know the truth. And then we've got to do something about experiencing change within our lives. We are no longer going to be satisfied with just a little bit of God's power manifested within our lives. We're not going to be satisfied with 
interference in our marital relationship. We're not going to be satisfied with, with ourselves just going through life, barely getting along. We're going to rise up to a place that we find the knowledge of the truth and we will begin to enforce change. Change will be in effect as far as we are concerned. We are not going to tolerate demonic activity any longer. It's time to say that is enough is enough. It's time for change. I will not be controlled, but I will be in control of the circumstances. It is my life and you have no power to rule over me any longer. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, and let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Dominion, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and notice the word subdue. Subdue it. Notice those two words. Have dominion and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Notice God made man in his own image and likeness and gave this man dominion. And a charge to subdue the earth. Now, the word there, dominion, means this. Supreme authority. The power to rule or to reign over or to govern. God gave man the power of supreme authority to rule over all of his creation. The works of his hands, if you will. And what that means in the Hebrew is the fact that God made man his unruler, giving him supreme authority in all the earth to govern, to rule, to reign over all things that he created. Turn with, with me, if you would, please, over there to Psalms chapter 8, or the 8th Psalm. And beginning at verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. How many of you believe that? I believe that. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than angels. In the true Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means God. Thou hast made him a little lower than God. Apparently, the translators didn't want to do it. I guess they felt it was sacrilegious or blasphemy. But, beloved, that's exactly what it is. It's the same word in the beginning was God. It's the same word over there in the beginning where it says, God created heavens and the earth. It's the same word, Elohim. God made man a little lower than himself in his own image and his own likeness and gave him dominion and told him to subdue the earth. And what does subdue mean? To bring in control by exertion of the will. To bring under control by the exertion of the will. To bring under control by the exertion of your will. To bring it into control by the exertion of your will. He says, man, I'm giving you authority, supreme authority over everything I have created. You are my under ruler. I want you to reign in the realm of life and subdue the earth or bring everything under your control by the exertion of your will. That's exactly what he told them. Let's read on. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. And that Hebrew expression literally means you are the under ruler. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air. Same thing he said back in Genesis, fish of the sea. And whatsoever passeth through the pass of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So here, here we see that man was made to rule, not to be ruled. Man was made to reign over, not to be reigned over. Man was made to control, not to be controlled. Man was made to be free. Man was not made to be a slave. God's intention from the very beginning was for man to use the exertion of his will to bring all things under his control. He gave each human being at that point in time that power and that right, that privilege and that supreme authority. Everything was in his control. But turn with me, if you would, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I want to give us a quick overview of some of the things that happened to prevent us from experiencing that kind of power and authority without using faith. It was automatic back then that all Adam had to do was to exercise the uh, authority God had given him, and he can control all things. All he had to do was to speak the word of his will, and all things would have been in subjection to him. But look at here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. You know the story where it was the temptation of Jesus, and this is what happened. And the devil said to him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. I want you to notice that the devil was not telling Jesus a lie. If he was lying to Jesus, it would not have been a temptation of Jesus. He was telling Jesus the truth. He said, all this power that was delivered to me will I give to thee. He wasn't lying when he said this power or this authority or this right to rule was given to me. Because you see, beloved, yes, Adam was made God's under ruler. But when he committed the sin of high treason and sold out to the devil, he lost his right to rule. It was a legal transfer of authority and dominion and power that elevated the devil to the God of this world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me, if you would, please. The devil became the God of this world and legally has the right to dominate the lives of people who are unsaved, who are not washed in the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly is what he is endeavoring to do right now. Hold people in fearful bondage by exerting his will over their lives and making them subject to the law of sin and death, to his powers of darkness, to controlling substances, to whatever it takes to make people bow their knees to His authority, to wreck human lives. He'll use anything and everything He possibly can to rule and reign over people's lives, to lord it over people's lives. And you know what, beloved? If people allow Him to do it, He'll do it. 
And not only non-believers, but those who are saved, if they don't know what they have in Christ, if they don't know their authority and power, and they allow it because of darkness that exists in their understanding, he'll still enforce that dominion over their lives and, and just wreak havoc of their lives. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, let's begin reading at verse 1 first. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world. Now make note of it, Adam was the God of this world. Adam was God's under ruler. But now Satan has been elevated to the God of this world, and he... Prevents people from receiving the light of the gospel by hiding it from them in darkness. Notice verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what he is endeavoring to do is to rule over people's lives preventing them from receiving or learning the knowledge of the truth because he knows if they would ever begin to understand it, then they would be made free. And so he attempts to prevent people from, first of all, receiving any light of the gospel. Why? He can then be effective in lording it over their lives, in destroying them as individuals, in destroying their marital relationships, and putting deceitful thoughts in their minds, controlling their lives with substances, ultimately ushering them into an eternity of damnation. That's exactly what his objective is. And you know that as well as I do. And anything he can do along the way in this realm of human life, he takes pleasure in doing, beloved. He doesn't care if it's a baby brought into an elderly person. If he can damage, destroy, if he can steal from you and kill, he'll do it. He is a ruthless enemy. And you know that as well as I do. But this is where his power lies, in deception. If he can prevent us from gaining the knowledge of the truth, then he can hold us in that bondage. But if we gain the knowledge of the truth, and I want to get to that, then his lordship over our lives is gone. It's of none effect. And so can you see his attempt is to prevent us from receiving the knowledge of the truth? Because he knows that's what makes us free. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews so that we can now focus more in on the knowledge of the truth. The truth is God made man in his own image and likeness and gave him dominion over all the works of his hands. He made him to be a ruler over everything that God created. He gave him power to control his own destiny when he said, look, here's the tree. Do as you please. If you eat, you'll die. If you don't, then you'll live. He gave him the power to control his own destiny. He didn't have to be subject to his own sensual desires or anything like that by a fall. He could have lived in the presence of God forever. But he chose not to do that. He rebelled against the plan of God and Satan became the rebel holder of authority. He became the rebel holder of authority. The authority he holds was not his own. It was Adam's. It was man's. The God of this world. God's under ruler. 
who was to subdue the earth, to bring it under his control by the exertion of his own will. But he chose of his own will to rebel. There was a transfer of that authority. Satan became the god of this world. And Satan right now is moving about controlling the lives of people by keeping them in darkness. But you know what? He doesn't have that authority any longer. He no longer has the right to do that, beloved. And I'm going to show that to you in the Scriptures. That's why Jesus came. He came to save that which was lost. Yes, human beings, but He also came to save that which was lost. The authority that man had to be God's underruler on this earth. To control his own destiny. And to see to it that he would rise up to a place of overcoming faith and victory. Now listen. Hebrews. And chapter 2. This is the truth. In verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had, now notice, the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I'm going to give that to you from uh, different translations here. He came, that is, Jesus came. We know He came to outdo, undo, and overdo all the works of the devil. You know that as well as I do. Here's what He did, though. Took upon Himself flesh so that He would, and these are other translations, dethrone Him that had the power. Dethrone Him that had the authority. Dethrone Him that had the dominion. He came to break the power of... The devil. He came to neutralize the power of the devil. He came to, to crush him that held the dominion and authority of death. See, God did not like that transfer of power. God did not intend that Satan, his enemy, would move about in this sphere of life as the God of this world and exercise dominion over people's lives. He didn't intend that. It happened by a transfer of authority. So Jesus came when He came to do this. To crush Him that held the dominion and the power and the authority to lord it over people's lives with spiritual death. That's why He came, beloved. That's why He was manifest in the flesh. And in verse 15, to deliver them who through fear of death, notice, were all their lifetime subject. To bondage. Ever since the fall of man, he was subject to bondage. Held captive by his own fears. Held captive by insecurity. Condemnation. Guilt. Controlling substances. Anger. And all these different forces. Under the tyranny of darkness. Satan being the God or the ruler of this world. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. This is the truth. Jesus came to dethrone the one that took the dominion off of Adam. He came to paralyze him, to crush him, to neutralize him, and to break his power and dethrone him from his high position of authority. In the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. 
And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Other translations says he disarmed the principalities and powers which fought against him. That's Coney Bear's translation. Another one says he exposed, shattered, emptied, and defeated them in his final triumphant and glorious act. That's Phillips and others mingled in there. And what that is saying, and I took that from 26 translations, was to give you all the different words that were used to describe what Jesus did to the devil. He crushed him. He paralyzed him. He dethroned him. He neutralized him. I'm telling you, he made an open show of the devil. He made a public display and example of the devil. He made it known in all three realms of life that Satan was now a dethroned power, a disarmed power, neutralized. He has no power to reign any longer. He no longer has the dominion to lord it over someone's life. He no longer has that legal right. And that's exactly what this scripture is saying. Now go on back to Colossians chapter 1 and let's look at verse 12 and 13. The truth of the matter is Jesus overpowered him, seized the opportunity to dethrone him, and by his death, burial, and resurrection, he disarmed him and made him ineffective in luring it over people's lives. Now, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What's part of the inheritance? Well, listen. Who hath delivered us from the power, from the authority, from the dominion, from the tyranny, from the lordship, from the rulership of darkness? Hath delivered is past tense. Hath delivered is past tense. Jesus Christ, as a part of our inheritance, has delivered us from the tyranny, the control, the dominion, the power, the authority of darkness. And translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son or of the Son of His love. In other words, we have been rescued out of the authority or the dominion or the tyranny of darkness. We are no longer in that kingdom where Satan, as the God of this world, lords it over people's lives. A translation has taken place. We have been translated from one kingdom of darkness to another kingdom of light where Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So since we're not in that kingdom, we need not be subject to the king of that kingdom who is Satan. Since we are in this kingdom, we are subject to the king of that kingdom who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone has a right to lord it over our lives and reign over our lives, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If there's anyone who should be reigning over our lives, it should be the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when He lords it over someone's life, beloved, He lords it over that person's life with love, with joy, with peace, with comfort. He lords it over that life with, with health, eternal life. I'm telling you, with, with blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. That's the difference between the two kingdoms. But in the other, the devil will lord it over with sin and with death and with addiction, with lies and deception. And anything ungodly that you can think of, he'll lord it over someone's life until they're finally destroyed and ushered into eternity of damnation. But I like this here about the part that Jesus plays in our lives. He is our Lord, but then He says, I'm still not going to take control of your life unless you allow it. I am giving you the potential to reign through me as a king in life. Did you ever read that in the book of Romans in the Amplified Bible? He has given us in Romans 5.17 the privilege or the right to reign as a king in the realm of life by one Christ Jesus. Every child of God has a right. And how does he have that right? Why does he have that right? Because Jesus dethroned the powers of darkness. Jesus took back the authority that man lost. Jesus has that authority and he says, now I'm giving you the right or the privilege through me, through the power of my name and my dominion and authority to reign as a king in the realm of life. In other words, you are in control of your own destiny. You are in control of your own life. Whatever you want, you can have. You want life? You've got it. You want health? You've got it. You want healing? You've got it. You want prosperity? You've got it. You want success? It's yours. You want freedom? It's yours. See, the devil doesn't want us to know that, beloved. Because when the child of God finds that out, his statement will be just like that woman's. There's got to be some changes around here. Amen. Look at Ephesians, if you would, please. Jesus disarmed the, the principalities of darkness, Ephesians chapter 1. He broke the dominion of Satan over our lives. And the Bible says, in Luke's Gospel 10, 10 19, as he was here on earth, with reference to his own disciples, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus came giving that same authority to others who went about doing things in His name. And He says the devil does not have enough power authority or dominion to override what I'm giving you. And so they went about in his name. And what did they say as they returned? They said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us. Do you see that, beloved? Some changes were going on in the world. People were being subject to the devil. The devil was moving in upon people's lives and destroying them with sicknesses and diseases and, and addictions and everything else. I'm talking about making them crazy lunatics and, and trying to kill them, commit suicide with suicidal spirits and lust and everything else. But all of a sudden, some changes were taking place because there were people going about in the name of Jesus that had more authority than the devil and they got on his territory and they kicked him out of people's lives. They said, be gone. And they came back with a, with a song of victory saying, even the devils are subject to us in your name. 
Now, I want you to see this in the book of Ephesians. You say, and I know that there are those that will argue the point and say, well, that was for just those people back then. Well, I've got something better for us. (laughs) Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He holds people right now in bondage through darkness and deception. Not because he has dominion any longer, because he no longer has the dominion. He no longer has the right or the authority to lord it over people's lives who are Christians. Because he's not Lord in our kingdom. But if he can keep Christians in darkness and prevent them from understanding their authority, then he can hold them in slavery still. And that's why the Apostle Paul prayed in chapter 1, verse 17, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know the hope of his calling. Now notice... And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now notice. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality. Everybody say all principality. And power. And might. And dominion. And every name. That is name. Now, are you ready for this? In this world and in the one that's to come. You talk about a wide range of dominion. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, God the Father gave him power and authority over every principality, every power. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. You say, that's wonderful for Jesus. But no, He didn't do it for Jesus. Why would Jesus have to have authority over devils? He was the Son of the living God on high who had authority over devils. Why would Jesus have to be raised up for Himself? He was already up above every power, every principality, every might, every dominion, and every name. Then why did Jesus have to do that? Why was He raised up to that place of power and authority? It goes on to tell us. He put all things under His feet, gave Him to be the head over all things for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of the believer. For our benefit. He did that so that he can strip the devil of the dominion that Adam lost legally and then in turn legally give it back to the child of God so that the child of God could benefit from that authority, dominion, and power by using the name of Jesus over every principality, power, and name that is named in this sphere of life in which we live. That's why he did it. For the benefit of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Well, let's go on. And that isn't enough to get you to shout. Look at, the, look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. Say, I've been made alive in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice this. Were you dead in your trespasses and sins, as it says in verse 1? Were you at one time? I was. At one time in verse 2... Were you in times past walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the children of disobedience? We all were at one time. Among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as others. Weren't we all in that same boat? 
Wasn't He lording it over all of our lives at one time? Listen. I admit that. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins and hath He quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are no longer under the dominion of Satan. We're no longer under, as that verse 2 says, the prince of the power of the air. We're not under the lordship of the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. We're no longer under the spirit that prompts people to be slaves to the lust of their flesh, the desires of their flesh and of their mind. We're no longer children of wrath as others. We now have been raised up to sit together with the Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And positionally, our seating is with Him. We are sitting with Him right now in the heavenlies. We don't face life from a defeated standpoint trying to become victorious. We face life as being made more than conquerors through Him that loves us and the devil's trying to steal what is ours. We're not trying to get healed. We are healed and the devil is preventing us from experiencing our health and well-being and healing because it's ours in Jesus. We are free because the Son of Man has made us free. But the devil is trying to prevent us from experiencing the reality of our freedom through controlling substances and habits and addictions and all that. He doesn't want us to be free. Because, beloved, when we start walking in the power of the name and the dominion and the authority that He has provided for us in the resurrection, we will walk on this earth the same way that Jesus did, demonstrating the same works that He did with the same power that He did, overthrowing the forces of darkness like He did, and ejecting Him from people's lives and affairs. And He doesn't want that. But the truth of the matter is, we have been raised up together with Christ we are seated with Him. We are His body. The feet being the lowest part of the body that touches the earth. Are you ready for it? Everything has been placed beneath His feet. He is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name. We are His feet. So that we are the body of Christ. And so all things also are beneath our feet because we are the body of Christ. We are raised up far above all power, principality, might, and dominion in every name that is named in this world. No matter what the name is, we have dominion over it. We have authority over it. We have power over it, far above it in Christ. That's the truth, beloved. But you see, the truth has got to dawn upon our hearts. And if it ever does, I guarantee you, we'll be saying some changes need to take place around here. Look at the book of Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you us how far reaching this dominion and authority is. We are seated with Him and we have been given the right to use His name that has authority over every being in all three realms of life. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, we've been raised up together with Him and that's the truth. 
positionally, we are with Christ right now, seated with Him at the Father's right hand. That's legally our position right now. And that's the position from which we are to operate against these powers of darkness that try to control our lives. We've been given the right to use the name of Jesus against every principality, every power, every ruler, every name that is named in all three realms of life. Look at Philippians chapter 2, how far reaching that power is. In verse 9 it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things, and in the Amplified it says, of things or beings in heaven, and things or beings in earth, and things or beings under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, we have been given authority in the name of Jesus... And the right to exercise that authority over everything or being in heaven, everything or being under the earth, everything or being on the earth, in all three realms of life. We have authority in Jesus' name, and we've been exalted in Christ to a position, some may not understand this, but above the angels. How many of you know that? The Bible even says that we will judge the angels. Isn't that true? In Christ, God has done a work superior to any work that has ever been done before on this earth. But also, in that same work, He has lifted up the believer high and far above every power arrayed against us. Satan has legally been stripped of his dominion and authority and has no right to lord it over a human being's life. And once we understand that and recognize that, and then know that Jesus in the Great Commission said, Those that believe in my name shall they cast out devils, speak with new tongues. If they take up serpents, they'll take up serpents. If they drink any dead thing, it will not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. What he was saying was this, In my name you have authority over all the things that take place on the earth. You don't have to be controlled by demons. You have a right to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues and empowered with supernatural ability from all high. You have the power to, to eject demon spirits and their activities from your life and also people's lives who are, who are totally controlled or those that have been possessed by them. You have the right to use the authority of the name to lay hands on those that are sick and expect the sickness or the disease to bow its knee in response to the name and faith in that name. You take that into an individual's life and what he is saying is this. You have the power to control your own destiny. You don't have to allow Satan to dominate your life with a controlling substance or any kind of habit. You have a right to exercise authority over even anger in your own individual life. You have a right to control whether or not you are successful in business by speaking the word of faith and the word of life that says, speak to that mountain, tell it to be removed. You're in my way. You're preventing me from being victorious and successful in my business affairs, my financial affairs. I command that you go. Jesus proved that when he cast the nets down. Peter says, we told all night, we got nothing, Lord. He says, cast it down for another draft. Put it on the other side of the boat. When he did, they couldn't even contain it. There was so much, the boats began to sink they had to and break the nets. I mean, there was enough to make them rich. 
Jesus was showing how to and demonstrating how people can use their God-given dominion to control the laws of nature and to change the course of their lives. Beloved, but when are we going to wake up to the knowledge of the truth that makes us free? He exercised that dominion when He was on this earth by speaking to a fig tree and His words were with such authority and power the fig tree obeyed Him and dried up from the root. He spoke to the winds and they stood still. He spoke to the sea and the waters were calm. He spoke to fevers and they left bodies. He exercised authority and dominion like never a man experienced before, probably other than Adam in the beginning. But beloved, the thing that holds us back is that these things are too good for us even almost to accept as being true. You mean to tell me that I have the right to use that kind of authority and power in my life? Yes, you do. Will we understand it? Will we be given to the study of it, accept it as being true, and then rising up to a place in the name of Jesus where we begin to exercise that dominion over the forces that would hold us in bondage? Will we speak to that spirit of alcohol or spirit of lust or drug addiction or whatever it is and say, I refuse to give you place any longer? Some changes have got to take place here and now. Up to this point, I've given you access to my life. I've allowed come in and keep me in slavery and bondage. But you know what? Now, changes are taking place. I refuse to be dominated. I refuse to allow that mountain to stand between me and financial success. I refuse to allow sickness to lord it over my body. I refuse to be controlled by anger. I refuse to have my marriage destroyed. I refuse to have my child's life taken. I refuse. And just begin to rise up to a place of recognition, understanding, knowledge of who we are and of what we have and the power that's been made available to us in Jesus. Beloved, if there ever was a message, I believe a preacher can preach the people... So as to help each and every one of them, I believe this is that message. People, as individuals, need to know that through Christ we have been redeemed and we have been lifted to a place of authority over all the forces arrayed against us in this realm of life and we don't have to be under the control of any. This is not something that is happening in our lives apart from the power of God. It's not happening apart from the sanction of God. It's not happening apart from the sovereignty of God. It is the sovereignty of God in action. God did it, did it as an act of His sovereign will. It is time that the people of God begin to have dominion and subdue the earth. Which means to bring everything under their control by the exertion of their will as it's lined up to the Word of God. If you abide me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, it will be done unto you. It's not apart from the design of God. It's not apart from the will of God. It is everything that God has provided for us through His great redemptive plan that represents His exact will for all of our lives. Hallelujah. Beloved, what's left to do 
is to get to a place of bulldog tenacity and say some changes are taking place around here. And around here means my life. Some changes are taking place around here. You know that spirit that's held you in bondage, preventing you from praying effectively? It's time for you to rise up and stick up your head in Jesus' name and say some changes are taking place around here. Devil, I don't like your attitude. I don't like your attitude. You don't have that right to dominate me any longer. You will not dominate my prayer life. You know what? You've held my finances in captivity for too long. Some changes are taking place around here. I don't like it. And then rise up to that place, beloved. I don't like what you've done to my body. I don't like what has happened in my emotions. And start speaking to anger. If anger has been a controlling thing in your life, then start speaking to it in the name of Jesus, denying its right to lord it over your life. We're not to be held in, in captivity or bondage to anything. Did you know that? There's only one thing that we should be under the lordship of, and that is the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship of love. And that's all there is to it. Beloved, we are as free as God's ever going to make us. When are we ever going to realize it and enforce it in our lives? Can you say amen? If you are free indeed, stand up with me, if you would, please. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.